Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. Nothing better captures one's attention in a sea of email subjects than the phrase butterfly doula. Elizabeth Blake Thomas is not only nurturing a safe environment for butterflies to undergo the metamorphosis process, but she also applies that work to herself and others through her books and other creative endeavors. In this conversation, Elizabeth deeply shares her life experiences about curiosity, decision-making, perfectionism, and the stories of inspiration and delight that capture her heart. If you're someone who struggles with taking yourself too seriously, I'm raising my hand here, her practice of laughing at yourself will help you. She also gives insight into brain breathing, an exercise that enables the total reset of your brain as part of her work called Medicine with Words, which helps you live a life with intention and purpose. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 736. Well, Elizabeth, welcome to Getting Work to Work. It is a delight to talk with you this morning. It's a delight to be here, I have to say. I do enjoy having these conversations. I do too. And it's always fun to meet people that are not only willing to be surprised, but love being surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Maybe that's kind of masochistic. I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't think so. I think there's a a tendency in our life to want everything prescribed and tidy and you want to know everything. But I think when it comes to conversations, when we can explore things that we don't know are there uh, and, and allow ourselves to grow, I think that gets exciting. So you mean as opposed to when I was eight years old, found out where certain Christmas presents were hidden, went and opened them all, found out what they were, closed them back up again. That kind of surprise. That's not good. (laughs) No, that's funny. Like, do you remember the gifts to this day? Oh, yes, because I remember one Christmas. I I will never forgive myself. I went into into my parents' rooms after we'd opened, you know, Santa's sack. And we were allowed to open that at like 4 a.m. or something ridiculous. And I went into the bedroom and I sat on the bed and I said, I didn't get anything I wanted. Santa didn't even read my list. I hate Santa. I don't, this is the worst Christmas ever. And then obviously, you know, as you get older, you understand what that means. And I've never forgiven myself because how <laughs> awful for your parents to go, they think they've done their best, you know. Right. So, yeah, I remember it well. Oh, I hope you won't need therapy after this session. <laughs> yeah, even self-therapy, I've done it. Okay, good. Well, I love asking this question of everyone that I talk to because I I just, I have to know. I'm very curious. But what are you endlessly curious about? Endlessly curious? Ah, oh, it's, it is a great question. Um, you know, with the phrase, curiosity killed the cat. I am surprised mm-hmm. I'm still alive, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> I... I am endlessly curious about life. And what I mean by that is the concept of it feeling like a computer game. So I have a friend and we're always on the phone to each other. And I go, okay, uh, you know, you just reached level two. Now we're going up to level three. And we think 
we feel like we've completed the game, but you never have. And the whole point of the game is you die at the end. It's not a good computer game. So <laughs> when, you, when you think about life, and I analyze it regularly, and I'm ever curious about other people's philosophies, Uh, other people's take on what that means to them. And then I love reading books about it. And I get everything from Buddhism to the Japanese philosophies, because I just think if you stop for a minute, and you have to be careful not to do this too often, and and look at your fingers and your hands, and then you look through your eyes, and I'm talking to you now, it's kind of like, what the heck is this? (laughs) And then also, it's the stupidity of it. You know, we get so taken in by the simplest of things, or so-and-so said something, or this was you know, they were horrible to me, or I don't have this. And life is so much bigger than that. And so Mm -hmm. I just love learning about life and what it means to myself and to other people. And therefore, it's a topic that never ends. Mm -hmm. You just blew my mind thinking about life as a video game, because I feel like we treat it as, you know, like a side scroller, (laughs) Mario Brothers type type thing. When in reality, it's more like this open world exploration where sure there's a main quest, maybe there's some side quests, or you can just wander around for an hour because you're curious. (laughs) Exactly. And that's what makes the game of life so interesting because it is, we've all playing a different game. Yeah. Is that game? You know, in Hollywood, there's a Hollywood game. Being mm-hmm. a parent, it's the parent game. And I just find it so interesting to know that whatever game you're in, <laughs> you all die at the end. Yeah. And it just makes me laugh because it also means you stop putting this inane stupidity kind of pressure on yourself because you do just have to make the most of it. You have to. You have to enjoy yourself. You have mm-hmm. to. You have to work out what's your own purpose in this game of life. Yeah. When you said we have to figure out our own enjoyment, that's that's the voice of wisdom and experience right there. Yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. did, how did you find your own enjoyment? Um, because what I did is I simplified my life. So I, I lived in the world of the should world. And I also lived in a world of um, the belief system that the more you have, the more successful you are, and the more you earn, then the better your life will be. Because that was the way I was brought up. Um, and again, that's not not to say my parents did the wrong thing. That's what they were brought up in that world. Mm-hmm. And I realized that this wasn't satisfying me. It didn't bring me enjoyment. And actually, you were more aware of what you didn't have. And it was like, well, hold on, that, that's not good. I, I don't like this. So I got rid of everything and sold everything. And I love having nothing. And so wow. I simplified my entire existence. And I realized what brought me joy was um, hugging and kissing my dog and hugging and kissing and talking to my daughter. Well, those two things don't cost money. And so that kind of changed my perspective on, well, what can I do that can continue that enjoyment? What do I need? Or actually, I don't need anything. I have it. So I suddenly, I think I did go to top level there. I went straight up (laughs) to the level of enjoyment. I got the the treasure chest. (laughs) Yeah. Was, Was, I'm sure that through that process, though, of getting rid of everything, was it... 
an instantaneous feeling of relief or did that come over time? Well, it's, it's kind of two answers to that because I think the first question would be, you know, did I make the decision quickly? Because Ooh, yeah. I'm somebody that I do make decisions immediately. I, I can just go straight to, I don't want that. I want that. I don't like that. I like that. I'm buying that. I'm not buying that. And so when I make a decision, it, let's say I've moved on or I'm deciding to cross countries and move to America, I make a decision and within a matter of hours, I can have put everything in place. Wow. So when I made the decision to get rid of everything, my uh, whole psyche, my whole being goes from, okay, good, I've finished with the tour now and I've closed. I can close that. I'm not emotionally involved in it anymore. So other people found it very difficult to deal mm. with. So I was known as you know, the lady who lived on a boat, the lady who drove the VW bus, the dog lady, the hat lady. So when I removed something that people felt they could um, associate with me, it made them feel uncomfortable. But the minute I literally loved the boat, loved it, loved it, loved it. That morning I made the decision to sell it, that was gone. My, my, my whole psyche changed. I was like, yeah, no, I'm all good. I'll just sell it and move now. And that to me is where there is a, a, a structural element in my brain that I can't explain, but it, it knows to move on. So I don't wow. need to heal from things because I know I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm not doing it from a place of fear, which is where a lot of people come from when they're making decisions. And I always do things ahead of that. It's never from a place of fear. That is some next level wisdom right there. <laughs> <laughs> like my my mind is blown with that concept of decision making being something that is for your your good, for your greater yeah. good. I mean, that's amazing. Well, and I think if you know it is, again, if you, I, I, I look at people and they say, oh, I wish, let's say I work with some people go, I, I want to stop smoking or I want to get fitter or I want to do, well, do you? Because if you do, then you can do it. We are the only people stopping ourselves from doing it. In fact, I, I, I did a post for myself yesterday because I had a little bit of a mini celebration for myself by myself and Chai, my dog. And, um, and I, I wrote down what I'd wanted to achieve from January. And I made very definite decisions. I write everything down. It's one of my practices. And I am sitting there. And by the 20th of December, I will have done everything that I set out to do and wow. achieve it. And so I just consciously know that if we know it's the right thing, not coming from a place of fear and we want to do it, it's not going to hurt anybody in the process. This is, mm -hmm. this is about ourselves. There is no reason why things can't happen. Oh, and I'm not a perfectionist, which is a huge plus. <laughs> Now you're speaking my language on that one because uh how did you get past the perfectionist trap was this just something that you've always been able to do or did you have to make some conscious de decisions to let it go It's a really good question because I I'm somebody that can do bigger picture so I'll bring other people in to do the detail so because I'm bigger picture I don't think you need to have that perfectionist trait 
Um, did I ever have it? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I don't, you know, as a little girl, I remember I did like a tidy bedroom. Um, I do like things to have their place, but I've always been somebody because I was never going to be the um, A plus student because I didn't want to put my time into that. I knew what I wanted to put my time into. I just got my A's you know, and some Bs. And I was like, yeah, that's fine because that's all I need. And even at 16, 18, when I got my results for my, we had GCSEs and A-levels, I remember thinking, well, no one's ever really going to ask me what they are. I could tell them I got A-pluses and no one's even going to know anyway. And and I look now and I go, have I ever had to tell anybody or show them my piece of paper? No. I could say to you now, yeah, I got all A-pluses. You wouldn't know. So I think I just knew that perfectionism was this optical illusion and it doesn't matter anyway. You know, and it causes you so much stress. Why bother? It does. And and I think when we think of the world of creativity as well, there's such a drive, I think, societally that we have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and depending upon the the discipline that we're in, whether it's filmmaking, photography, writing, there's this fear that if we're not perfect, that we're going to be pushed to the side for the perfect person. Well, I know that if I had been seeking perfection in everything I do, I would never have done what I've done. My first book came out 2017 and um, people couldn't believe, (laughs) I couldn't believe actually that I got a publisher. I'd never done this before. And I sent off some pages and um, I said, this is just an example, you know, from from my book. And they came back and said, oh, we'd love it. And I was like, oh my God, I've got to write the book. So (laughs) I wrote the book and sent it in. And you know, there are a million edits and what have you, but I wasn't going to hold on to that to make it something, it wasn't going to be a New York Times bestseller because again, I've learned, I understand to be a New York Times bestseller, it doesn't matter how good you are. Actually, you've just got to pay to be on it and you've got to get all those tipping point people to support you. Mm-hmm. You know, to win an Academy Award, it doesn't matter if my film is the best thing since sliced bread, if I don't have the right budget behind me, the right marketing. So why seek perfection? I just need it to be as good as it is get on, move it on and get it out there. So my second book, again, um, I did it as well as I could. I'm very proud of it. And it talks about all my films that I made, but I, I moved on. I've just completed my third book and I just sent it to the publisher and uh, she said it can come out on the 19th of December. Wow. And I was like, great. And someone else again might be going, well, you know, you could tweak that. You could tweak. Uh, well, what's it going to do? It's not going to change anything. I need to move on to my next one. And I think if you, again, it's like the games, it's that level. This helps me get to the next level. That helps me get to the next level. And it's just a continuous growth pattern like that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I, I'm so into what you're saying there because I, I, I find that the answer that people are often looking for is how do I get discovered? How do I get found? And they're looking for that magic bullet, magic system, magic process. And you just said it, do it for, and then get to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Get it, to the next one. It is. It's just about that journey. Cause that's the other thing I realized, which goes back to the curiosity. What is my life? And I, I have one of my uh, exercises is if I died today, would I be happy? And I have to know at the end of every day, okay, I could die today. I'd be good. Okay, I could die today. I'd be good. To to think that I wouldn't be happy because I didn't achieve or I didn't do what I set out to do. And that could be as simple as today. 
um, when I wake up in the morning, I always ask myself the question, how do I want to feel at the end of today? Well, at the end of today, I know that I'd like to feel that I have fulfilled something and I always want to transform one person's life each day. Well, I've already done it and it's only going to be like 10.30. So <laughs> the rest of the day I, is like a breeze and everything else is a bonus. And so if you live like that, I think it takes a pressure off you. I think it gives you a very intentional living, which is what my book is called, Living with Intention. It gives you a conscious making uh, kind of process for how you live each day. Uh, and that's very important. I think it does take the pressure off you. Mm -hmm. Now, I love this idea of living with intention. And a crucial part of that, I think, just from the outside looking in, is you're, you give yourself permission to do multiple creative pursuits, multiple entrepreneurial pursuits. It seems like you go where your where your passion is, get it done, and then move to the next thing. And it, is that part of living with intention as well? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I have a very clear uh, list of book titles. So I'll be sitting there and suddenly a book title come into my head and I'll go, okay, that'll be the next book I write. Well, that's on my list of books to do. So um, I, I definitely have th that kind of the writing side. Then I read, I'm an incessant reader and, and obsessively as well, actually, because if I get a good book and they're all nonfiction, love nonfiction, uh, it can be eight hours and I'll go, oh God, I've just been sitting here reading for eight hours. So I give myself permission to do whatever, whenever, however, but I'm very good at also, I live very frugally because someone might say, oh, well, that's all right. You know, you live, they thought I lived on a, a, a yacht or something, you know, <laughs> Actually, I, I don't, but I choose, therefore, how much do I need this month? What am I going to do with that? How does that look? And I'll intentionally choose how I spend every moment to get to that uh, need, whatever that is. I mean, at the moment, I've moved in. I moved back with my daughter. It's very funny. We laugh all the time. And literally, she gave me a cupboard. So I, I call myself, I live in a cupboard. And, um, and it's the happiest I've ever been. I think also one of the other elements that's really important for living intentionally is I laugh at myself. I laugh at mm. myself every day. I am so stupid sometimes and I'll say things and um, my, my daughter and I am actually going to get clinically diagnosed because she does think I have autism. And she says, I'm not sure what level of the spectrum you're on, mummy, but you are on a spectrum. So I'm like, okay, I'll get that checked. But, but I, I have to laugh at myself. Otherwise, if I didn't, um, I, God, I wouldn't do what I did and, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And I wouldn't be brave enough, as you said, just to try everything. Mm-hmm. I love what you're saying, and I just have to point out that your words are affecting me in a in just a delightful way. Like I feel lighter. I feel like I have permission to make fun of myself, to not take myself so seriously. And that just speaks to the power of our words, not just what we're bringing in, but what we're saying to ourselves. Definitely. And it's one of the most important things. So in the morning, I'll walk into the bathroom and Isabella will be there and I'll go, oh my God. And she'll say, what, mummy? I'll say, 
what's it like to have such a beautiful mother? You know, and she'll burst into hysterics. And it's not because I think I'm Cindy Crawford, but I'm also saying it so that I keep remembering it's only going to get worse. This is the best I'm ever going to look right now because I'm going to get older and it's going to happen and my wrinkles are going to get warm. So it's what we tell ourselves is crucial. And um, sometimes when I go onto these podcasts, I do quite love it when they give me that kind of intro of what I've done. And I sit there and I go, yeah, that's me. So I try to tell myself those things. I'll give myself that bio, that rundown. This is what you do. This is who you are. Um, Because everything we tell ourselves takes us to that next level of confidence. And then that emanates from us around the world to other people. You know, that becomes that infectiousness. And I feel like if that's as I said, transforming one person each day, that's my role in life, then how can I do that if I'm sitting there feeling like crap or not being nice to myself? You know, and this, by the way, this isn't sitting here going, oh my God, my life's rose-tinted glasses. I wake up in the morning sometimes and I can feel heavy. I can feel like, wow, how am I going to do this again today? What is this? And again, I'll laugh. I'll say to Isabella, God, I am so depressed. And she says, mommy, no one will take you seriously when you say that laughing. But I I make myself laugh with it because I go, it's okay to feel that. I'm okay to acknowledge today I feel sad. Today I feel depressed. But I can assure you that because I know my intentional choices for the day, I can get myself out of it pretty quickly. But I'm always, I'm always feeling a, a whole kind of spectrum of emotions. Um, and I think that's why I can connect with people so much. And I have that empathy. Yeah. So would you say that when we can connect to our inner confidence, is that what makes it possible for us to do anything? No, I think it's about connecting to who you are as yourself, whatever that might be. It's your truth. So if I've connected to my truth that day that said I was sad, Mm-hmm. then I can make stuff happen. If I connect to myself today and I say, no, today I've got that joyous feeling. Mm-hmm. It's it's my truth. If I'm annoyed with someone, it's <laughs> not about sweeping things under the carpet. It's about acknowledging your truth and also accepting it to say, kind of letting yourself off the hook. We're only human, because that's the other thing. I I can feel annoyed with somebody. I can feel cross. I can get my mama bear if someone hurts my daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, accepting that, working out why, what does that do? Because that's the biggest thing for me. I worked out my why. And I think if we can all work out our why, which is taking us down these levels and layers, and that gives us the opportunity to understand every decision we make. So my why is feeling unsafe. And yeah, yeah. It took me a lot to get down to this. Wow. Yeah. Because I would, I would like, let's say, so I have my, my dogs, my service dog and, and she's allowed everywhere with me, but I would go into uh, somewhere and they'd say, you can't bring her in. Mm -hmm. And initially, you know, five years ago, six years ago, before I worked this out, I couldn't understand why I would kind of my, my voice would speed, speed up and I'd, I'd feel like this. And I'd say, but of course I can and, and defend and da, da, da. And then it could be something as simple as 
I don't like flying. So when I would get on a plane, I would maybe snap at my daughter the morning of the flight because I'd be so panicked if she said something that might mean, oh my God, if I crash, I'm never going to see you again. It could be all sorts of things. Something my mum might have said to me that annoyed me. And I realized it's because every single one of those made me feel unsafe. And the minute I worked that out, I could go, oh, that makes sense. Okay, I can move on. And that was my, that was my goal. Wow. I mean, this has been a continual state of mind blowing this, but <laughs> when, when you said your why is to feel unsafe, like mm -hmm. I, I've never heard that before. Like I always feel like why and purpose sometimes feels generic because it, it, I feel like we, we, we choose them so that other people will like it, but that's that's amazing. That seems so unique to you, which is beautiful. Thank you. And and it really again that goes back to your truth. And because I know that, mm -hmm. it can be even something like going on a date. I'll you know if I go on a date with someone and they say they're going to text me and then they don't, mm -hmm. you know, it just it would annoy me. But but it would annoy me in a way that I just couldn't understand why because. It's just like, it's a silly thing, but I realize because they do not make me feel safe. If you're going to say something, you do it. And that's a philosophy. I have several, but that's something I live by. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. You have to hold yourself accountable. And I hold myself highly accountable. Yes. So one of the things that you have is called medicine with words. And I wrote down, it's a practice to guide you to uncover your purpose. Is, is this the process that you went through to uncover your why? Exactly. All of it, really. It was very much, um, I've always done this, this kind of practice of utilizing words. And I didn't know what it was. And then it was COVID where I was a professor at Pepperdine and running a course called Storytelling and the Power of Our Words. and it just came to me. I just knew what I was doing. And, and I, I always go with just my intuition and letting things flow. And the, the kids at the end of it, you know, they were so grateful because it got them through COVID and it gave them this different way of living and looking at things. And one of my friends said, you know, you should do this full time. And it's always, it's the way I brought Isabella up. It's the way I try to live my life anyway. And um, several practices kind of came into it, like Kabbalah and um, Buddhism and, and all these other philosophies. And so I realized that it was something that we all need mm. in these different ways. So I created these 10 tools and I created all these exercises and I did them all for myself. So I feel like I'm proof in the pudding and my daughter <laughs> as well, you know, so she's my other proof yeah. that it was. So 10 tools, would, would you be willing to share one of them that uh, would be useful to transmit through a podcast? Yes, I mean, they're all fabulous. And they kind of go in, in certain order. But I think, and I love alliteration, you see, so they're kind of, I've got brain <laughs> breathing or um, pyramid of purpose or pen to paper. I just love sounds. Um, but I think... <laughs> 
Let's think. One of them would be, I mean, brain breathing is the first one. And some people might call that meditation, Mm -hmm. but I call it the total reset of your brain. Mm -hmm. And there are several exercises with which to do it. So I'll, I'll tell you one of them. But the purpose of this brain breathing is to quieten the noise, is to stop the brain. You know, we do these meditations where you're kind of following your breathing or you're listening to something. But I think of this as imagine your brain is filled with fog and you literally need to clear that fog so that there's nothing there. And I have to do this. I do this every six weeks. I do a reset for myself and I can feel when I need it. Mm -hmm. And and I've got it down to... uh, I I can kind of do it within an hour, two hours sometimes, but there are times when I go, no, no, I need, I need two or three days actually to just clear my brain. Um, And one of them is thinking about it as if you've got filing cabinets in your head and we all love a good filing cabinet. And we all know that unless we have a clear desk or a clear um, laptop What's that thing, you know, where you have all your apps and stuff? You know, I see, I don't use laptops, so I don't understand. I don't know what they're called. Your screen, your screen, I don't know. But it's about clearing everything or at least compartmentalizing it or making it look like it's ordered. So I say to people, what are your filing cabinets? So my filing cabinets are labeled mother, dog mother, um, writer, so author, Sometimes I have director if I've got a film going on. Um, another one is self-care. Now, other people might have millions of, of, of filing cabinets. But once you get that in your head and you look at those and then you think, well, what does that filing cabinet look like? It, are the drawers full? Is everything falling <laughs> out of it? You know, and, and again, each filing cabinet might be different. And you start to sort them out and you start to think. And bit by bit, this fog will start to clear because you'll realize that you can just sit there with a very clear brain. And sometimes it's looking at it from a perspective of being out and facing the ocean. Sometimes it might be that you want to lie in a dark space, but these exercises that I have allow your brain to breathe. So that was an abridged version, um, but they can find out more in my book. I love that. And what I love about that too, is it sounds like with the metaphor of a filing cabinet, what I'm hearing you say is sometimes the fog is just ideas mm-hmm. and, and thoughts. And when we can start filing them into purposeful areas, maybe we're not afraid that we'll lose them. Yeah. And we also recognize what is actually important. You know, we have yes. that list that's the, it's the, um, four squares and, uh, you have a cross in the middle of your piece of paper. Top left is, uh, urgent, but not important. Top right is important, not urgent. Bottom left is not in, uh, no, hold on. Bottom right is not important, not urgent. So what's that bottom left one? Important, not urgent, urgent, but not important. Um, Whichever one I've missed out. And and, and again, once you compartmentalize that, you suddenly go, oh, I don't even need that on my list. Why is it there? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we live in a world where as well, we're always thinking about the future. And if we can kind of reconnect to where we are right now, and if you if you need to think about your day, I, I, I understand that, but not worrying about that and the future and where you're heading will allow your brain to breathe as well. And it's just about putting things in perspective. Yes. Oh, I love that. As a fan of alliteration myself, 10 out of 10. 
Oh, thank you. I do. I love it so much. <laughs> I I often say I have an unhealthy obsession with alliteration. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. It's not a bad obsession. I don't think so either. Some people like to rhyme. I just like words that, that fit together. Oh, I know. Waves of wisdom, tides of truth. I have them all. I love it. <laughs> So you mentioned you were a uh, a professor of storytelling. What are the stories that you're attracted to right now? I think definitely inspirational ones. I've been given this beautiful story, a true story about a family in Canada. And I have worked out how I'm going to tell that. And I've got someone writing it at the moment. And that I know will give somebody you know, the, the feeling of anything is possible. Mm. And I, I enjoy that side of storytelling, inspirational, lifting you up. Um, I think the world is filled with so much darkness that we need to find that light somewhere. Um, I also love laughing, as I said. So, you know, stories that make people laugh. And then I love philosophical stories. Like one of my favorite ones is the Mexican fisherman story. Oh, and I just got this amazing story that I read the other day. Um, and it's about this farmer who, um, who had, you know how they used to carry on their back the two buckets with the uh, like a, the broomstick, the handle that would hold it. So he'd go and fill both buckets up and take them back to his uh, farm. And one of the buckets had a hole in it, and it would just it wasn't able to keep as much water as the other bucket that didn't have a hole. And but he he didn't get rid of that bucket. He kept that bucket and he would go backwards and forwards for years. And then one day, the bucket without the hole said to the bucket with the hole, oh, you're useless. You know, you can't even keep the water. This is ridiculous. I don't even know why. I'm the one doing all the work. And uh, the farmer heard the conversation between the buckets and the bucket with the hole said to the farmer, I'm so sorry. I know I'm not worth it. I know I don't do everything that... It makes me want to cry, actually, this story um, that, you know, I should be doing. Um, and I, if you want to get rid of me, you can do. And the farmer said, look down, look down at the path that we walk every day for five years. He said, every day I had seeds in my hand and I put them down on the ground. And every time we walked over it, you were watering them as we went backwards and forwards. And in five years, look at how beautiful that side of the path is. And I get to pick those flowers and take them home and see them every day. You brought joy in a different place. And I'm like, that story is the most beautiful story ever. So stories like that, that's what I like. I am blown away by that story because if there's a parable for the way that we live life right now, I, that's it. I mean, we're the buckets with the hole in it and mm -hmm. yeah, we're being told we're useless. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and yet it was, it was more powerful and more helpful and more beautiful than anything else. Yes. And we didn't know it. So it had to be told that. And then when it did, it was like, ah. And that's that's a Japanese philosophy, actually, the kintsugi, which is one of my tools, the kintsugi technique, mm -hmm. where there's a teacup and um, there was an emperor and he had his favorite teacup. And he 
use this every day. And one day it was being brought to him and they dropped it on the floor. And this emperor saw it smash into smithereens. And the um, the person that was bringing it said, I'm so sorry, sir. I'll throw this away. I'll replace it. I'll get you another one. And he said, no, 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 you don't, you don't do that. He said, just because it's broken, we don't throw it away. He said, let's put it back together with gold. Mm. He said, and we'll make it even more beautiful. And again, that whole concept of our broken pieces make us who we are. They make us more beautiful. So I love stories like that. Uh, they are, they're parables, they're fables. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that I think those are what keeps me going. What I love too is that your entire voice changed when you started talking about these stories. Like mm-hmm. I could hear the passion increase <laughs> and the enthusiasm for life increase. And that's that's the power of story. It is. It is. And if I can somehow be a conduit for other people with that, then again, oh God, what, what, what accolade could I ask for other than that? Mm-hmm. Well, and it speaks to, for me anyway, I feel as if you're giving me permission to live life, permission to accept these stories, to be guided by them. Uh, and and I just keep coming back to this idea of it's a permission slip, not only for purpose, but for peace, for beauty, for life. And I think um, we we need some we need some healthy permission slips right now. Yes, yes, I call that a contract with yourself, actually. And um, I I do that where I I get people on if they come on my workshops to write that for themselves because. Yeah. It is about that. It is about giving yourself permission. And again, it's the intentional choices. If you are making intentional choices, it means you're giving yourself permission. If you're just going for it and who knows what and living life in a way of let's just see what happens, which is fine, a carefree life, but intentionally choosing to have a carefree life, that's the difference. So speaking of permission to be who you are and what you do, I have been thinking about this phrase for a while now since I got your email. But what is a butterfly doula? I know, isn't it awesome? I have I have shared this phrase with so many people and I'm just like, what in the world is this? I have to know. <laughs> I know. But you see already, even those two words instigated something. They instigated conversation. For and- sure. And that I feel is what's so magical about words. So I I realized when I was working out my, my medicine with words that I wanted a modality that I was using to teach this framework. Because again, I, I like things to connect. I feel it makes sense to people. Mm-hmm. And I I love nature. I really enjoy nature. I get a huge kick out of going for a picnic, being amongst trees, looking at the ocean, whatever it is. And um, and I and I was very fortunate. I put out into my world uh, in in the just the metaphorical sense in my head, going, okay, show me, show me what my modality is going to be. And I kept seeing butterflies everywhere, but I didn't realize it. Okay, I wasn't connecting this. I, I'd been drawing them. I was making these little bugs. And this lady contacted me and said um, that she was a butterfly doula and she was going away and she needed someone to take over. And I, again, like you, I was like, well, I don't know what that is. And um, what is this going to mean? And how long is this going to take? 
And then I thought, no, my gut instinct just went, just say yes. Just say yeah. yes. Like, yeah, absolutely. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and also, I'm not green-fingered. I, I mean, I've killed cactuses. I, I just, it just <laughs> doesn't work, you know. And I try and I talk to them, but I just, sometimes I overwater them. So anyway, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is a lot of pressure on me, but I feel I have to do it. So this lady has these big spars, these big, um, you know, netted safety zones where you are in charge of the entire process from the beginning to the end of a butterfly's life. So all the milkweed, um, the process of refilling that, growing it, um, watering it, enabling it to be the habitat for the eggs. The eggs are then put in onto this milkweed, um, and then you have to you monitor them. Uh, I actually also sing Sound of Music to them, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, and um, and so you're you're literally causing their entire process to be in an environment that's safe because the monarch butterfly is, um, you know, becoming extinct. So we're trying to, to help them. And so the entire process with the jays um, from the caterpillar five molting to the jays, to the chrysalises, the colors, all the way until I released them into the wild. And as I was doing this, you know, there was one day I was sitting six hours watching this caterpillar get ready to turn into the chrysalis. It's the most life-changing thing I've ever seen in my life. And then when you watch the chrysalis change color and you know how many hours you've got left before it probably comes out and you need to then release it. And this whole process is just who we are as humans. Everything is related to us as our metamorphosis who we are, the, the way we grow and change. And even there's a very sad moment, if a butterfly gets infected by a tachinid fly, mm -hmm. you know, you see it change, it's dying, it's never going to come out as a butterfly and you have to give it back to the earth. Mm -hmm. That happens to us as humans as well, this entire process. And so becoming a butterfly doula enabled me to associate this entire period with us as humans. And uh, it was a, it was one of the best modalities I, I use actually when I am helping people find their purpose. Even a butterfly, you know, when they are a butterfly, they don't remember what it was like as a caterpillar, but they remember senses. They remember what it smelt like and the sounds, which is why I sing to them. Um, and, um, and I think, yes, that's us as adults to children. We have those memories. And when a butterfly knows its purpose, it doesn't know it's going to be a butterfly, but it, when it is, it knows its purpose. And all of these things, and I just feel there are so many similarities. Um, so, I, yes, I became a professional butterfly doula. <laughs> I mean, I just love that story so much, not only for bringing butterflies back into the wild, but the fact that you have been able to connect it back to your purpose and what you want for other people and for yourself that just speaks to again a, a beautiful path that you live in this life mm, yeah it, I, and i feel very grateful that i got to experience it and there is nothing better than the knowing that that butterfly is going to go off into the world and maybe it's for six weeks maybe it's for longer who knows or maybe you know it gets eaten by a seagull you just don't know you don't have a control over this but again that is just a metaphor for us and yeah. then we repeat the process again yeah i mean there's so much that we don't have control over and to let it go is is refreshing
Exactly. Exactly. I have to ask, is your dog snoring right now? Yes, she is. Can you it's hear so, that? It's so awesome. I was, I was like, I keep going to stroke her and then she stops and then she yeah. stops. I love dog snores. <laughs> I love it. Because I was looking at the, uh, the the little vibrations that because you can see when we're speaking. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's resonating. And then <laughs> now you heard it. Yes, it's not me. It's my Maltese snoring. Oh, it's all good. I, I have a pug, so he's he's got just the cutest snore. So oh. I was just I was thinking of him as I could hear it. It's great. Yeah. She's she's bored of us. She, she's just sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Wants nothing to do with this. Exactly. Amazing stuff, Elizabeth. I'm just there's so much beauty in the work that you do. And I think um it comes back to something that you said earlier for me about decision making that if you really want to do something, you're, you're going to do it. And that commitment and courage to do that work, beautiful. Thank you. Um, I, I, I do say things out loud so that I know they're going to happen as well. So I just put a map up um, in my daughter's uh, front room and I've got the red string and the pins. And I said, even before my book was coming out, I said, okay, so next year we're going to go on a road trip and we're going to, you know, I'm going to run my workshops around America and Canada and I'm going to do my book tour. And I'm sure people look at me and go, she's absolutely crazy. And how and why and when? But if you make those decisions, then everything else begins to fall in place, mm-hmm. you know, it, but you have to know that it's the right thing, that you want to do it and that you are willing to put in that time. Does that mean I'm going to be staying in five-star hotels as I go around the world? No, <laughs> not at all. That, that's not the purpose of it. So that's where some people start to find problems. Oh, I can't afford to do that. Well, how were you going to do this? My budget's $500 a week maximum, including everything, you know? So no, maybe you couldn't if you were thinking it was going to cost you 5000 a week. But do you want to do it? That experience that I'm going to have with my daughter traveling for six months, ah, you, you can't put a price on that. And I call that the window of opportunity. So, you know, one one final thing, because I don't want to give you too much overloading, but (laughs) I look at these window of opportunities. And what I mean by that is where are we in life where everything is aligned? Mm -hmm. So right now for me, my daughter will have finished her degree. Um, I haven't got elderly parents yet that I need to look after. My dog is healthy and happy. I am healthy and happy. It seems to be a perfect window. She's not getting, my daughter's not getting married. She's not pregnant. There's this before life gets complicated and you get these windows of opportunities at certain times in our life. Mm. And, um, and you have to make the most of them because in five years time, we're going to be in a very different place. And who knows as well? Remember, we don't know what's going to happen. So when that window comes, I just make a decision. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And then I just put everything in place to get there. So when when you do that and you're making these steps forward, how do you wrestle with the doubt that inevitably comes up? <laughs> I laugh at it because I do. I, I go, well, <laughs> you know, it's utterly crazy what I'm suggesting. And 
Because again, I think going back to the perfectionist, because I'm not saying to myself, I'm going to do it in this way at this time with this amount of money, you know, it's not about that. I don't give myself those parameters, um, which means that it doesn't matter what it looks like. I will make that happen as a, a version of something. So therefore, there isn't any doubt because whatever happens, I will do that. It just might be in a slightly different way. There's no expectations on myself or from other people. And again, it's like waking up with that bonus feeling. Mm -hmm. Even if I go to one bookstore and do one talk and I run one workshop and I've driven 6,000 miles across America with my daughter, I've done it. I've succeeded. Do you mm -hmm. see what I mean? Yeah. There is no doubt because I know I can do that. You have helped me unlock some things that you didn't even know you were going to. Thank oh. you. I've been I've been working on a book project for a few years now. And I have been saying to myself, and I have it written down, that I'm gonna release it on January 2nd. And I was just I would get stuck in certain things, perfectionism, doubt, all of these things. And I just appreciate how you've been able to remind me of you're you're doing this because it matters to you. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it being perfect. Make it good enough. Mm -hmm. Focus on the next one after that. And yeah. and I'm just I feel released in a way. Thank you. Oh, I'm so pleased. I, I, well, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. That's mm -hmm. the thing, don't we? And and if we can relieve ourselves of that pressure, um, I think I think life becomes just that little bit more enjoyable. Yes. Well, Elizabeth, as we wrap up our time together, I mean, you've shared so many unbelievable points of wisdom here, but is there anything you would like to leave with the audience? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I think maybe just reflecting back on that concept of when you wake up in the morning, give yourself that permission to you know, not reach for your phone straight away, not, mm. not enter the world. <laughs> we enter the world straight away, you know, actually to sit there and go, how do I want to feel at the end of my day? And if you can consciously make that decision, then every other decision you make throughout the day will lead you towards that. And even if it doesn't and it alters, at the end of the day, when you analyze that and you look back and go, what did I say I wanted to? Did I manage it? Didn't I? What happened? Again, it'll just give that clarity on intentional living. Um, and that that's all we've got. Again, that's that's enough. And I think no, don't don't pressurize ourselves into achieving more. That is enough. And to give yourself a, a hug and a clap and say, well done for even getting up sometimes, you know, let's keep it simple. Yes. Well, as someone who as, uh, reads a ton and is obsessed with books, what's blowing your mind right now? Well, I've just read one book three times <laughs> because what I do when I find a book I want, um, I'll read it so quickly just so I can get to the ending and then I will go back and read it again because I just, I, I just love them so much. I want to get to that and go, yeah, no, I agree with everything that it said and this is the way I live. Now I'll read it properly. That book is Wabi Sabi, one of my favorite Japanese philosophies. Um, I'm also, I'm rereading The Alchemist at the moment. I do think that that's, again, a beautiful story. Um, my friend's book on being human, Jen Pasteloff, that's a great book. Um, but I love, I love books that are going to just kind of open me up to either understanding that I'm thinking in a similar way 
or slightly different. Oh, and the Ikigai book. I love any books to do with Ikigai. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, th- those are my favorites at the moment. Wonderful. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being a guest on Getting Work to Work. Thank you for making me smile whenever I think about the butterfly doula. And I just really appreciate the way you show up in this world. It is a breath of fresh air. Thank you very much for having me. I am very grateful to be here and to share and to talk about, you know, my book and 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 life. It, it's wonderful. So thank you for encouraging my curiosity. What a powerful conversation with Elizabeth. And all I have now are questions that I need to spend some time reflecting on. Questions like, what decisions do you need to make as it relates to your life, your work, a project, a dream? Do you actually want to do it? I know these are questions I'm thinking about deeply, especially as it relates to a couple of projects that have found some friction in the creative process. They are still important to me, they still matter, and the decision is made to get them done, so now it's time to take the action. I hope you're inspired by this conversation to live with intention and to laugh at yourself and life with a little more gusto. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.